Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. In this episode, we're going to talk about this week's tariff bombshell. On March 4th, the Trump administration announced that it would be pulling India and Turkey out of a special program. That special program was called the Generalized System of Preferences, or GSP. That by itself isn't necessarily a massive deal, but it does raise important questions, and it may be part of a much bigger fight. That fight is about just how rich countries should treat poorer ones in the global trading system. The situation now is that if nothing changes, soon the U.S. will increase tariffs on imports from Turkey and India. It will withdraw the benefits for those countries under the GSP program. These tariffs affect about $7 billion of U.S. imports from India and Turkey. That's about 13% of their exports that these two countries send to the U.S. Now, there are some interesting products in the list. My favorites are gold necklaces and refined lead. But importantly, there's also $700 million of auto parts on this list. Turns out a lot of President Trump's tariffs somehow managed coming back to cars. Or I guess it could just be that cars and car parts happen to be traded rather a lot in the world. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and we're, we're also going to query your favorite products being gold necklaces and refined lead. Great, great choices there. Anyway, this isn't that much trade. But I think the more interesting question is a philosophical one. Listeners should go back and listen to episode 19, which is all about this GSP program. And then it explains the idea of this. So essentially, the idea is that the US should offer zero tariffs on some products to countries just because they're poor. It's supposed to help exporters in developing countries, and and these zero tariffs are supposed to to bring along their development. Now, these developing countries don't get this access for free. They they do have to do some things, like basic commitments not to abuse human rights, they can't be communist, and they can't be too protectionist. Some countries have been kicked out in the past. In 2012, Argentina got kicked out when it refused to pay money to a bunch of American investors that it owed, though they actually did get back in in 2017. Other countries get kicked out when they get too rich or in GSP terms when they graduate from the program. Russia graduated back in 2014, and Uruguay and Venezuela did as well when they became high-income countries in 2015. Although I suppose that's no longer the case for Venezuela. We'll come back to that point. The, the story for Turkey getting kicked out this time is is that it got too rich, or so USTR claims. And there is a bit of a controversy there. The USTR calls a country too rich when it looks out there and says, ah, the country's income per person is higher than some level, and the level it chooses is a level that the World Bank has said is a high-income country. Now, recently, this is set at $12,000 per person per year. It turns out that Turkey was actually above that level in 2013, 14, 15. But the last couple of years, its economy has gone kind of into a slump, and now it's actually much below that level. The fact that Turkey was above the threshold and then fell below it, and even then it got kicked off, reveals, I think, that this process is really not an automatic one. There is some discretion that USTR can can employ. And then in this case in particular, I think there were some questions about the timing. There was a review that was announced after there was a political flare-up between Turkey and the U.S., Essentially, the the Turks were holding an American pastor hostage for a while last summer. So there was a diplomatic row. And this review was announced at exactly the same time. 
Yeah, and, and not only that, but when the GSP review of Turkey was suddenly launched, the USTR press release didn't even mention this income eligibility criteria that they're invoking now. But what USTR did say then is it was going to investigate whether Turkey was living up to the separate market access criteria in the program. And the issue there is that Turkey had just launched its retaliation against over a billion dollars of U.S. exports in response to President Trump's national security tariffs on steel. So maybe this is about that, or maybe it's about that separate political issue with the pastor. And so there's questions about perhaps it was it was part of that. It was a geopolitical power play rather than, you know, a technocratic decision about Turkey's economic eligibility. It's all a bit unclear what the motivations here really are. If the Trump administration is trying to send a message to get something out of Turkey for this, it's not obvious what to the outside world, at least what that would be. Now, obviously, USDR isn't exactly known for its forthcoming communications. So perhaps those conversations are happening behind closed doors. Uh, we, we will find out, I suppose. Um, that's Turkey. Let's talk about India. India is way below the threshold for, for what counts as this high-income country. So it's definitely not about to graduate out of the program for being too rich. So it looks like they got kicked out for a very different reason. Now, there's not a lot of love for India coming out of the U.S. Trade Representative's office. And there's been a bit of an appetite to kick India out of GSP for a lot of reasons and for a really long time. The official story is that the Trump administration initiated a country review of India's GSP status in 2018. There were also two official requests from American exporters to kick India out. The first was the U.S. dairy industry. Essentially, milk has been shut out of the Indian market for more more than a decade for various reasons. And they got annoyed and said, this this isn't in keeping with the spirit of, of the GSP program. The second was the U.S. medical device industry. They claimed that the Indian government had imposed new price controls on coronary stents and knee implants. And those those price controls were forcing American companies to sell their products in India at a loss. Again, they were unhappy and they were essentially trying to use the GSP threat as leverage to get the market access that they felt that they had lost. I think this point is important. Pulling India out of GSP means the United States is actually raising its tariffs on imports coming in from India. But this really has not been due to some clamor from American companies coming forward, worried about having to compete with low-priced imports from India and demanding higher tariffs. No, these are petitions from U.S. exporters, and they're the ones who are frustrated and seeking to improve their access to the Indian market. Okay, but that's really just the beginning. There have been a lot of other complaints. First of all, even at the highest political level, even President Trump is somewhat aware of India's high tariffs. You may remember his tweets about Harley-Davidson's inability to export to the Indian market because India's motorcycle tariffs were so high. And similar to Turkey, after President Trump imposed his steel and aluminum tariffs last spring, India also lined up a billion dollars of U.S. exports that it threatened to hit with retaliation. The difference there from Turkey, though, is that Indian retaliation hasn't yet gone into effect. So the GSP investigation could have been part of a warning from the U.S., a sort of don't you dare put tariffs on us because we've got this other lever that we're ready to to pull. 
to go down the the laundry list of complaints a bit a bit further there are also some recent indian policies that have been generating some complaints from big american companies walmart and amazon big online retailers they invested billions of dollars to set up operations in india and then in december of 2018 the indian government changed the regulations essentially to help local competitors the american companies didn't like that and then in february india released its draft national e-commerce policy this isn't law yet but it does suggest that india is heading down this path of data localization and demanding that big internet companies you know many of whom are foreign demanding that they store their data locally through indian server farms and also last year india's central bank they implemented a policy that forced american payment companies and so this is mastercard visa american express to also have to store their data locally so like, i think this is part of a broader trend that that india is heading toward the americans have also been complaining that the indians are underreporting their agricultural subsidies for things like wheat rice and lentils last year ustr also filed a formal wto complaint about india's export subsidy programs that affect products like steel pharmaceuticals and chemicals and this really is only part of the of the laundry list if you want more do go and read the 2019 national trade estimate report which sets out the the complaints in in gory detail those are the complaints but why now we said that us india trade tensions have been around for a while so why is this happening now One theory is that this is part of a break with earlier US administrations and that the Trump administration's attitude to GSP is tougher than in the past. It didn't make big news at the time, but in the fall of 2018, President Trump stripped a bunch of products off the GSP list and then also denied a lot of poor country petitions for access to the US market. Now, these are the types of small requests that are usually granted pro forma without any discussion whatsoever. Of course, these things aren't a big deal to the United States economically, but they can be a big deal from the perspective of the exporters in the poor country, and it was definitely sending a signal. Perhaps this is part of a bigger trend that the Trump administration is saying, no, we're not going to be nice about this anymore. We've been taken for a ride about everyone who assumed that you could get this access to the American market. We're not just going to hand out stuff for free anymore. We know that this has generally been their attitude on on things like steel, aluminium, china, but apparently that that now could also include poorer countries as well. But the other theory is that this just isn't a Trump administration thing, that this is part of a massive fight that's now ongoing in the world trading system about how it is that poorer countries should be treated differently. Clearly the two are related, but this really relates to something called special and differential treatment for poor countries or if you've ever spent any time hanging out with trade negotiators, SNDT. Special and differential treatment means pretty much what it sounds like. It's the principle that poor countries should have different or special treatment. And GSP is just one example of things that poorer countries get under SNDT. Another thing is money or technical assistance to help facilitate trade by improving things like ports or getting goods more efficiently through customs. That technical assistance that's not particularly controversial. There are other things that do generate a bit more controversy. Agricultural subsidies are a big one. Countries like India want to be able to provide more support to their farmers. Now, on the side of developing countries, there seems to be a feeling that the global trading rules were written by the world's rich countries without their particular priorities in mind. And they want any new rules to be negotiated in their interests, 
to fulfill the promise of development that, in their view, the trading system was supposed to fulfill. From the other side, it could sometimes seem as though these countries want concessions, but without giving anything up themselves. And that makes progress in any trade discussions really hard. Here is Dmitry Grozybinsky, a former Australian trade negotiator at the World Trade Organization. I negotiated on special and differential treatment at the WTO for years. And the fundamental discussion was often about, well, developing countries saying, look, we are incredibly poor. We are incredibly poor and therefore we need flexibility in trade rules. And developed countries would come back and say, look, we're not disputing some of your you know, poverty statistics. We're not disputing that you haven't developed as quickly as, as perhaps you'd like to, but you haven't illustrated to us that the trade rules and your compliance with them is why your development hasn't been as quick as, as you'd like it to be. The question that Dimitri's getting at is, What's the point of this differential treatment? Does it just mean that poor countries get more time to phase in commitments and eventually have to live up to the same rules as everybody else? Or is it, no, some of those rules aren't actually going to apply to developing countries. They're impeding their economic development. And so they should have permanent carve-outs. The American perspective, and I think a perspective shared by many of the other rich world members, is that to have so many carve-outs really undermines the rule book. And particularly when really big countries get carve-outs, it's, it's weakening the, the rules. Clearly, members like India do not agree. This is a huge, huge point of contention at the World Trade Organization. And it's affecting the ability to get anything agreed. Here's Dimitri. A strong frustration for a lot of developed countries and developing countries that would like to see more progress made at the WTO is that the special and differential treatment conversation has now almost reversed positions with everything else, where members report that now when they're considering a new proposal, there's a group of developing countries, which include India, which demand to see what the special and differential treatment will be before the actual proposal is discussed. So essentially, you know, India will seek an, a complete exemption from rules that don't even exist yet and that haven't even been negotiated. That is the extent of the special and differential treatment conversation. This fight has been ramping up recently. And, and basically, the US view is, fine, some countries can get these temporary carve-outs. But India, China, they're massive. They shouldn't be able to just classify themselves as developing countries and then get out of abiding by the rules. Up until now, the definition of of what counts as a developing country within the World Trade Organization has pretty much been up to the member. You can't just say, hey, I'm a developing country. But on February 15th, the United States submitted a proposal in Geneva that would change that. They want the WTO to use economic criteria to define who should not be allowed to claim this special and differential treatment. Their suggestion was you shouldn't be eligible for this treatment if you fall into one of four categories. So you can't be a part of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, which is a rich country club. You can't be a member of the Group of 20, which is a big country club. You can't be classified as a high-income country by the World Bank. Or you just can't be a really, really big trader. Those definitions clearly would exclude India and China. And the Indians will point out the number of desperately poor people, the number of poor farmers, as justification for their special treatment. So this fight over GSP is is really an extension of that 
disagreement. How much special treatment should this big country, India, get? And what are the obligations it has to uphold and exchange? Out there in the rest of the world, if you're a tiny, poor country, then to be honest, there's probably a fair amount of stuff that you're doing that breaks the rules. But no one sues you, no one holds you to account because it doesn't really impact them. This is the US saying that India is not in that group anymore. They can't just ignore their obligations. This isn't a one-way street, and India has to play by its rules if it wants the benefits of market access. To be clear, poverty is massively important. But putting on my economist hat here, I think the argument would be like this. If your country is so big that your policies are affecting things going on in other countries, then you should be subject to rules even if you're poor. That's what most economists argue is the main point of trade rules like the WTO. It's to prevent countries from excessively ramping up their tariffs or their subsidies to levels that harm people in another country. And India and China are massive. They're so large as consumers and producers of certain products that their choices matter for people in other countries. And in some cases, the people losing out from some of those policies may be desperately poor farmers in other developing countries. It may not be that actually the biggest victims of of these policies are in America. It may be elsewhere. Now, where this argument might break down is if there were evidence out there that trade rules increased poverty. There are some parts of the WTO where things might go too far and, and are important to watch. I think if poor countries were forced to provide too much protection of rich country intellectual property, for example, especially in areas like medicines and healthcare, well, then that could become an issue. But aside from that, I don't really know of much evidence that finds trade rules are what it is that's really constraining countries from fighting poverty. If listeners do know of any evidence, then then send it in. We'd love to, to see it. I've had some diagnoses of the gridlock and the World Trade Organization and, and the fact that they can't agree anything, which boil down to a sense that there is a disagreement about what the World Trade Organization is supposed to be achieving. So on the one side, you have people who think that either the rules or really the exemptions from the rules are supposed to be cutting poverty. That's the mission of the the World Trade Organization. You know, There was this big round of negotiations called the Doha Development Round. And, and on the other side, the problem with that is that people say, Uh, trade rules just maybe can't do that. Maybe that's just too much to ask of them, this this weight of expectations. There's a disconnect between what the trade rules or the carve-outs are supposed to achieve and what they can achieve. And really, isn't it better to have uniform rules so you don't get these distortions and then have good policies elsewhere, good complementary policies elsewhere, but really domestic policies targeting poverty? I should say that obviously we've been talking in pretty general terms and the arguments about special and differential treatment will vary depending on the specific issue being discussed. And in a handful of cases, the arguments are actually pretty strong on the side of the poor countries. We talked about intellectual property. There's a decent argument that they should get different treatment, that the rules that would just move money from poor people in poor countries to the rich world, those just wouldn't be okay. But I also think that most trade rules don't fall into that bucket. And finally on this, I think we probably also need to add that it's not as if the richer countries are themselves acting like angels. Not only could poorer countries do more, but on agricultural subsidies, it would help if both the European Union 
and the United States would go further to limit and restructure how it is they support their own farmers. I'm not sure this GSP move by the U.S. is going to move the dial much. It's going to bring the two sides much closer together, but it's certainly part of a much bigger debate, and and the context is is really important. We should finish with what this means now. For now, India seems to be downplaying the implications of this GSP decision. It's suggested it's not going to affect all that much of their trade. The tariff revenue that they're now going to be subject to isn't going to be all that big of a deal. They really aren't politically playing up too many of the aspects of this yet. That said, there's quite a lot of stuff going on in India right now. That's probably the understatement of the year. Uh, India's about to have an election. There are also some fairly major tensions with Pakistan. I don't get the sense that trade and the Trump administration is top of their agenda right now. But it's just one part of an ongoing story that could escalate. There have been some trade dialogue between the United States and India recently. Maybe it's less likely that there will be actual constructive engagement between the two. Or who knows? Maybe the the pull of these lost GSP benefits will take India to the negotiating table a bit more seriously. Maybe. In the short term, there are really interesting implications for what this means for the GSP program itself. India alone represents about 25% of the imports coming into the U.S. under this program. Perhaps this program is just going to become less important in future? That may not be such a bad thing. As we discussed in episode 19, there's an important question of just how effective the American GSP program is. And there isn't a lot of good evidence that it actually works. The program has a fair amount of uncertainty. It expires periodically. The products on the list, the Americans get to choose those, and it's not necessarily the products that the developing countries themselves would choose to export. There's not a lot of agriculture or clothing and apparel that are are on that list. So it may just be the case that that this design of the program isn't well-suited for what the developing countries actually need. I'm sure Trade Talks listeners like us will be watching out for the future of the treatment of poor countries in the World Trade Organization, U.S.-India relations, U.S.-Turkey relations, and the future of the GSP program. That is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Dmitry Grozubinsky, ex-Australian trade negotiator and current trade negotiations consultant. And as always, a big thanks to Colin Warren, who takes care of our audio. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to kicking countries out of GSP, two is better than one. You turn Trump. <laughs>